Yes, when I was chasing cash flow, um, I was actually chasing cash flow on very um, inexpensive properties. So even when you get a high percentage return on a cheap property, that's still not a lot of money. And when you look at the hourly rate and the time that you're putting in, it wasn't justifying that time. So what I learned was to go for quality properties. And along the years, I have been improving and, and upgrading our portfolio to better and better quality properties. You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright. Hello and welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard, where I get to speak to property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. My name's Tabitha Bright and I'm the Head of Coaching here at Positive Real Estate, where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell, which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. So today, my guest is Megan Wolfenden. Megan's discovered the power of leverage. Uh, she's also worked out the benefits of keeping it simple. And we've got a rather funny story. Well, it's funny in hindsight about a very dodgy property manager and what he was doing on her cost at her tab. <laughs> so um, enjoy the stories. Enjoy this conversation with Megan Wilkinson. Hey, Megan, uh, welcome to today's podcast. So awesome to have you here. Hello, Tab. It's great to be on your podcast. Nice to see you. Oh, thank you. You make me feel so special when you say it like that. <laughs> um, now, you and I have got to know each other over the last couple of years and, um, and you've got quite the investing history and journey that I really want to get into some of the, you know, nuts and bolts about because there's some really good lessons and, and you and I have had some commonality um, in doing some of the tricky stuff. And there's often a trade-off that we don't talk about with doing the tricky, more complex stuff. So I'm going to start off by just going straight in. What is the weirdest or funniest thing that has happened to you in your investing journey? Because it's always a great place to start, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like a lot of your guests have, I do have um, one story in particular that uh, I'll remember forever and now I'm sure you will too. We <laughs> were investing in the US, particularly in Florida, and a lot of people pay cash or back then paid cash for their rent. And we moved back to Australia and the property manager knew that we were a long way away. So it seemed to be that our vacancy was rising and um, the property manager would tell us that, you know, it's really hard to get people in and blah, 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 and have to lower the rates and things like that. And it was getting really peculiar how many vacancies we had and I could see online that he was advertising and what have you but I ended up having to get a private eye in to see what was going on he actually had the whole block rented and most of the people in there were paying cash and he was lining his pocket with that and there were a couple of people that didn't even have to pay cash. They just paid in sexual favours. And <laughs> we found this out, believe it or not, by a private investigator. So, um, yeah, I have to say that was the winner for crazy stories for me. 
it's funny. It's so basically in lieu of rent, he was um he was I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying this. Yeah, he was um having a, a good time on your behalf. And so your place, he I believe he was keeping it vacant so that he could keep receiving the favors and um and he just told you he couldn't rent it but he had it rented the well occupied the whole time um and um and he was just benefiting on on your hard absolutely and and we were you know the cost of flying back to florida was huge so i was delaying doing anything about it and uh, that's when I got a private investigator in because it was cheaper than me going. But yeah. um, I'm glad I did because I didn't need to see that. <laughs> you poor thing. Oh, my God. And so how did you have that conversation with the property manager? Oh, I, I, I didn't. I just had to get a new property manager in and kick him out. And then we sold that property because the propensity for people to pay cash in that location was just too high. And it's not the checks and balances that we have in Australia with trust accounts and things like that. So it was just um, a function of being too far away and um, not being able to look after it properly. So we had to let it go. It would have been a good investment had we been there. But, um, yeah, it's interesting how many people pay cash in different cities around the world. It's, It's still a thing. Yeah, and I hear it still is a thing in the US often that people still pay cash for their rent and people door knock and collect it. Um, And and particularly back in the time that you and I were both investing overseas, um, that, I mean, technology wasn't what it is back then because you and I were, you were early early to mid-90s, I was late 90s overseas. Um, and so, you know, it's very different to how it is today with everything online, everything, you, you can look up anything, right? Right. But I still mm. had to use snail mail, even in like 2006, we were still in 2010, snail mail for documentation to the banks and to property managers. Yeah. And a property manager wouldn't give me their SWIFT account details for me to send money for them to make repairs on, on a, on a property that needed some work done they wanted a check in the mail and from Australia that's three weeks it was still um, a lot of that in certain places like Pensacola Florida and things like that so the you have to stick where there's technology and where there's checks and balances (laughs) it's quite crazy yeah, because we had the same thing. Well, not quite the same. <laughs> it wasn't sexual favours. Um, but we had some tenants that apparently weren't paying rent. Um, we were chasing cash flow. So, um, you know, I'd read all the books, Robert Kiyosaki, Dolph DeRuz, all of those from the sort of early to late 90s. And um, and I know you and I had um, done some of the same courses and um, and we'd done, you know, there was a lot, it was all around back then doing some of the tricky stuff, right? Like no money down deals, high cash flow, um, you know, uh, what terms and conditions you could get to control a property, to, you know, get it in your favour and all of that kind of stuff, Um uh, uh, bankruptcies, you know, distressed buyers, all of that was very in vogue to call yourself a successful investor, right? right. And, and we ended up chasing student dollars, so student um, tenants to get the cash flow um, overseas. And 
our property manager kept saying to us, oh, no, Tab, they're just not paying. I can't find them. Um, you know, I can't track them down. They're students. You know, what do you expect? They're probably spending all their money on beer and all of that kind of stuff. And eventually I had to ring up the principal of the agency and I said, listen, you know, it's been like eight weeks and I've had no rent and I just keep being told I don't know what's happening. And he looked into it and she'd been collecting it in cash and spending it. And so it's not an uncommon story, is it? And, um, And I think when we're looking at getting a result from our investing often we think we need to do something a bit complex or we investing overseas could be cool um but you and I were discussing today you know what has been successful for us do you want to share for me what's been successful for you yes when I was chasing cash flow Hmm. um I was actually chasing cash flow on very um inexpensive properties so even when you get a high percentage return on a cheap property that's still not a lot of money and when you look at the hourly rate and the time that you're putting in it wasn't justifying that time so what I learned was to go for quality properties and along the years I have been improving and and upgrading our portfolio to better and better quality properties and that has really helped give us this incredible portfolio that you know has properties every property I have now I want to live in and I can't say that about (laughs) properties that I've had in the past I certainly lived in some of our properties so Mm. the chasing cash flow is important when you've got a really good asset and you're making sure you're getting good return on that but chasing those small numbers, even if they're large percentages, doesn't always make sense. So Absolutely. the quality has been the biggest lesson for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right. It's not that cash flow isn't important. Um, it's just that if you're chasing purely cash flow and that's forcing you out into, because traditionally we see the higher cash flow in the regional markets and so forth. Um and traditionally, the regional markets have been slower in growth than the major capital cities. So, you know, you've been trading your capital growth for your cash flow. And we had the same thing, Megan. I think when we were buying overseas, we had to put a bigger deposit down. So we were putting 20% deposits. I think, you know, um, I'm not sure. Did you just say you were buying in cash maybe? Oh, yeah. Um, deposit story for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That'll be the next one. And I've worked out with the amount of cash that I'd put into these properties, even though they were cheap properties and yielding sometimes 15%, I was still only netting like five grand positive cash flow because they're cheaper properties. And I worked out I was going to have to have 100 properties in order to have the income I wanted in retirement. It just became crazy. And then the money that I'd actually invested in these markets that didn't get the capital growth, if I'd put that here in Australia next door, the house next door, in that same time frame, I would have made 500 grand versus, you know, the mods and sods and cash flow. So they were important lessons. But tell me about your um, deposit story. It sounds like one I haven't heard. Yeah, it was um, quite exciting. It was fortunate that I found this particular program. The US Action Affairs would receive a lot of houses back from people in the armed forces because the divorce rate was very, very high. And so they would take the homes back and not force those people into bankruptcy. But in taking them back, then they had this huge uh, amount of houses that they needed to sell. 
So the Veteran Affairs allowed us to buy houses for $1,000 and the rest of it was all alone with Bank of America. It was phenomenal. And that cash flow was really good. They were positive cash flow. And it was paid for usually by people in the defence force um, wow. and their bosses. So we bought, we were allowed to buy five properties and every one of those properties went up by really good amount. But we're talking about a $60,000 house. Maximum went up to 120, which was a great return, but it's still not the it's type still of money. Small dollars. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with those five, we then upgraded using a Kiyosaki strategy, sell four houses and upgrade them to larger commercial properties. Yep. But unfortunately, I didn't have enough education in commercial at that point. So it's didn't get to all of that game, mm. but <laughs> it was a yeah. good learning experience. Yeah, <laughs> I've always loved your attitude around learning experiences. Um, <laughs> yeah, commercials a totally different beast as well, isn't it? And um, a lot of people that I meet, they're like, oh, well, should I buy a residential or should I buy get, just get straight into commercial? And, you know, commercial, you need some investing muscle and experience. Um, you need bigger pockets. You need to be able to withstand long periods of vacancy um and while there are benefits 100 percent, i reckon you know start with residential would you agree well yeah i've made money out of every single residential property i bought in australia so i just see wow yeah and we've been investing since 1994 so yeah. i see residential property as a really good um yeah. for any mums and dads and people building their portfolio for their own retirement I just think it's a fabulous way to go and it's got yeah. the history and we've got the lessons and we understand the cash flow and we understand the need for people to rent and what a vacancy rate looks like all of those things are pretty obvious when you start doing your education compared yeah. to in the commercial market yeah and even if you're not buying next door because then there's the reverse type of person right <laughs> so we have the people that are keen to go out and do the crazy stuff and then you get the people that only want to buy in their suburb and they want to be able to walk around the corner they want to be able to see touch feel it manage it themselves which is really from a coaching perspective would you agree it's it's really just a different type of fear it's a yeah. It's a, yeah, it's definitely fear-based, right? Uh, I explain to people now that mm. unless you're staying on top of the regulations and, you know, in an environment where you're being educated on what those regulations are in property management, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. But a good property mm. manager is going to have all the systems for knowing all the smoke alarms have been checked, the yeah. regular checks have been happening, the bills yep. have been paid, the, the, um, they know how long they've got before they can send a note to the tenant and all the consequences of delays yeah. for the tenant and what you should and shouldn't let them get away with. And I've actually been to uh, QCAT a couple of times to help my sister out and a couple of people. Mm. And what I find with going into uh, mediation or going to QCAT is the person with the best documentation wins. So mm. if your property manager has photos when you move in or when the tenants move in, they've got a ledger of everything that's been paid. Yeah up to date on all their paperwork, that will win over a tenant that's stuffed around and not paid properly and things like that every of time. Course. So as an owner, it's really yeah. important to get a really good property manager and it's not about paying for the cheapest, it's paying for the right 
manage right. and look after your property. Yeah, really. That's a really important point. Um, I know, um, as you was one of the things I got from Dolph DeRue's, funnily enough, always remember him saying that, you know, why try and pay for the cheapest property manager when this person is looking after your asset? And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I would have thought he would have been the converse. And, um, and he said, just look at the percentage difference because you can, you know, like absolutely put the thumb screws on somebody and get them down another 1%. But if you've got, you know, say 24K coming in a year, one one percent of that is what? Let's do the maths, right? So twenty-four thousand times one percent. You're talking two hundred and forty dollars you're saving yourself, but you've now got somebody that feels like they're not getting paid properly to do their job. Um, any challenges, then it's a it's an extra pain in the bum because they haven't been paid properly or they've had to discount their fees. Whereas you pay somebody what they're worth and they're happy to work hard for you. I mean, $240, like seriously. Um, and I think this is really important because, um, Megan, as part of coaching at Positive Real Estate, we talk a lot about our six-star team, right? And um, and that includes, what does that include? Um, accounting. Coach. Yep. Coach, financial planner, accountant, um, finance people, and property management. Property managers, yeah. Yep. Acquisitions. Yep. Yeah. And each person's an expert, mm. and you can't know it all, but you can know enough to ask good questions. And I think by having that team around you, um, yep. you can see where things can improve, how you can prevent problems. And yep. um, I think that. Good property management, yeah, pay for it every single day of the week. When I get somebody new in and they say, oh, I think I'll manage it myself, yeah. I actually start asking them, you know, what's the requirement if there's a, um, you've got to do an inspection? What's the requirement if there's a, a fire in the property and what yeah. you have to do? And they actually don't know what mm. they would do if there was a fire in a property with a tenant. So leave and that to the property managers and they've got an on-call phone as well. Yep. So there's always a replacement. If your property manager's on holidays, there's going to be somebody else who's around to look after it for them and you're not going to get into trouble. So I think yeah. it's really important. I did have yeah. a property manager when I was renting. Yeah. <laughs> a little trick actually that I, that Anthony and I do. When we sell a home that we're living in, I never go and buy straight away into another place because I just can't imagine getting a good deal, getting the right place with that kind of stress. Mm. And I know people don't like moving house, but I think it's an opportunity to clean. So I'll move house and I'll move into a rental. And so we were renting this property. And if there was something wrong, this property manager would get it fixed like that. She was so good at getting it fixed. And it turned out that she had set up, she was an employee and she'd set up her own maintenance company. Oh. And the maintenance company would come in and make, the, you know, repairs, charge a lot back to the client, to the owner. And um, also then she started getting a little bit uh, worse and she started taking the cash for the bond and uh, kept it. So she ended up in jail. <laughs> That's here on the Gold Coast. So, <laughs> but it was caught very quickly and uh, everything got paid back. So, you know, here in Australia, we're a little bit, a uh, few more checks and balances. So it was okay. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, I know, you know, sometimes there's comments around a nanny state and all of that, but I tell you what, 
it's our our rules and regulations with the banking system you know held us in good stead and still do Um, and like you said the checks and balances in our systems for managing the trust accounting and all of that stuff means you can rest easy I mean I remember in New Zealand, um, off the plan was very different to off the plan here in in Australia. And when the GFC hit, because Australia had such tight rules around what you could do with deposit funds, um, here in Australia, you know, if a developer goes under or um, the development doesn't proceed, your your deposit funds are protected in trust and they're handed back to you. At the time, that's now changed in New Zealand, but at the time when the GFC hit, that wasn't the case in New Zealand. It wasn't as tight. Um, And a lot of people lost their deposits because everything went when the developer went under. And so, you know, as annoying as it is with all the rules and the paperwork we have to fill out, it, it, it is a safeguard for all of us that we can sleep at night. And I will tell you, Tab, do you know we only ever tell the bad stories? stories of property management so when I'm talking to a new investor they will know five bad stories or I've heard of this and this and they've never heard the good stuff and so maybe we need to get it out there the good things that happen management with our clients because obviously the majority of our friends and clients that are investors have some really good stories but there's no need to tell them (laughs) and it's interesting because it's what the brain focuses on right our our whatever part of our brain it is I can't remember I read it out the other night but it focuses on looking for danger so we're far more likely to weight the disaster stories as important than we are the good good news stories and I must say I can tell you a good news story I have a property manager um, in New South Wales in fact I have two awesome property managers in New South Wales that just one one property, I don't even know I own it because I never hear from them and it's rented and the rents go up. It's just like hands off. I'm scared. I'm going to touch my wooden floorboards because I'm scared I'm going to curse it. And the other one, the property manager goes above and beyond and just sorts everything and he keeps me in the loop. I've had him for 15 years, one wow. property manager. Nice. So there are good stories out there. You must have a couple. <laughs> I do. I've got great property managers and, and they tell me what's due and when and um, yeah. I really appreciate them. They're looking after my property as though it was their own and it helps Fabulous. to keep the asset, you know, growing in value. And also they are aware of, you know, what's happening with the tenant and, you know, they might even tell me if a tenant's had a baby and things like that. So I can send a little note for, oh. you know, congratulations and things like that. So it's nice to have that little connection where I know that they're in touch with the tenant. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, it's the good stories we should yeah. pull out more often because they're way, there are way more good stories than there are bad, but it's the bad stuff that, you know, <laughs> that gets the noise. It is. And sometimes it's funny in hindsight too. Like I always like a good chuckle, which is why I love the one that we opened with, with, um, <laughs> with your, with your property manager going a little bit haywire. Um, but absolutely there are good stories. And I think one of the key good aspects um, from your investing is what you were highlighting before, which I want to zone right in on now, is that every property that you've bought in Australia has made you money. 
Um, and it mightn't have done it instantly, like we need time in the market, um, but you've really focused from our discussion prior to going live with us, you've really focused on buying quality this time around, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, my tenants are really lucky because they all get to live in new places and I've never lived in a new place yet, but I'll change that at some point. <laughs> they're these beautiful new places and I swear I would live in them. It's just that I want the capital appreciation. I want the capital gains tax, no, not capital I want the depreciation. So they, I'll, I'll give it to a tenant and I'll get the benefits. So mm. I, I'm very proud of every single one of my properties. Awesome. And I... I think that having that pride in your portfolio mm. and knowing that it can pay when I'm retired, it'll be a really good cash flow that it makes it helps me sleep at night. And yeah. by buying new and yep. then I, you know, follow Sam's program and every 10 years or so I'm going to make some adjustments and fix up things. And um, yep. I think that it just really shows with a good quality portfolio, you also get good quality tenants in great areas and 100%. great cash flow. 100%. Yeah. Um, very important lesson. And so I guess to wrap up our chat today, what would you say to a person watching this video that has thought about building a portfolio or getting started investing but they're worried about making the wrong decision. They're worried about, you know, some of the some of the stories we were laughing about before. Uh, they were stressful when we were going through them, right? right? And they're funny now. They're the barbecue stories, but but they were tough at the time. So, what would you say to somebody that's really scared of getting started and and just stuffing it up? Yeah, because they don't have a team at their fingertips and so that's forth. Right. Number one, don't do it alone. You can't know all the right questions to ask, let alone know all the answers. Yeah. And so by having a really good quality team around you and yeah. you think to what they have to say, I think that's going to be number one priority. And, you know, you'll have somebody that can help you with the cash flows. Somebody can help you with locations and um, finance and property management. All those things are really important and go spend the time on your own due diligence as well some of the mistakes I've made in the past was I was too quick to act and um, you know I was in a hurry I was doing too many things and I didn't put enough hours into my own educational due diligence yeah. and so by doing the time yourself with the quality team yeah. uh, I think and then try and buy quality the best that you can afford so yeah. that that'll last you for a long time and uh you know, you can get a really good portfolio under your belt. Awesome. 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 Very wise words. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing all of that today. Um, you're yeah, absolute delight to interview. <laughs> thank you. And <laughs> any really final loving, words? I'm really loving all of the stories that I was listening to on your podcast. I even had, oh, thank you. you even mentioned Rockabilly last week and I'm, you know, listening to Rockabilly. Um, it's been great education and to get real it stories does. in the marketplace is really great too. So oh, really thank it. you. <laughs> thank you. Well, awesome to have you on. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Tab. All the best. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. 
As you can guess, I love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales at positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing, and bye for now.